Hey, brother. What's up, brother? Welcome to Season 6, Episode 18 of Match Wits. I'm your host, Steve, alongside my younger brother, Chris. Uh, that's me. All right. <laughs> Match Wits is a nostalgia-infused pop culture podcast where we talk about a number of different topics, usually start on one thing, finish on another. Uh, this episode, we're going to talk a lot about uh, war movies and, and go into uh, all things related to... I don't know, the service and war and stuff like that. Um, before we do that, we've got a couple of regular, for those who listen regularly, a couple of things going on. Uh, we have a, a dimwit tally. We, we didn't do that last week because of the quiz, uh, but I'm still $2 in the hole to Chris. Uh, we also did do a quiz on last week's episode. That would be episode 17. This was the quiz where uh, Chris was going to get access to the Twitter account. If he got seven and a half or more, uh, he scored 4.25. Uh, out of 10 so we might be revisiting the quiz in a future episode yeah i agree and it's not gonna be asked bell biv devoe's real name (laughs) (laughs) i will try to pick more poignant questions i guess dude we had people over yesterday just because my birthday was on wednesday so we just had people over yesterday and i i did the quiz to remfrey and benny and they laughed. They're like, dude, those are the dumbest questions ever. I was like, yeah, how is that supposed to be my wheelhouse? And Benny just goes, yeah, that just assumes that your brother doesn't know what your wheelhouse actually is. I was like, yeah, fair enough. So fair how enough. did they score? Did they do better than 4.25? No. No. Like, they got two out of the three Bell Biv DeVoe members. Like, everybody knows who Michael Bivens is, but nobody right. knows who the other ones are and the guy asked him what Thomas uh, Thomas Magnum's middle name was and Benny just goes wait Thomas I Magnum P.I.'s first name was Thomas I was like yeah Benny <laughs> so which is funny so way uh, 10 years ago uh, when I was a manager at the, the software company that I worked at um, I used to give new recruits like people when we were going through a hiring frenzy uh, for project managers and stuff I used to give them a test <laughs> I did. It was like a 20 question test just to see if they knew anything about what was happening in technology. And, and uh, did I they think fare? only one, I think I gave the test to like 20 people. I think only one passed. Jeez. Yeah, this just realized, shows like, that your test making is subpar. I think it's just the world is subpar. And oh, yeah. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Oh, I forgot I was supposed to put together my heavy metal quiz for this one. but Oh, right. We'll, we'll right. save that for a later one. Yeah we, could, yeah, we could do that later. All right, so it is Memorial Day weekend, so happy Memorial Day. Uh, you know, I guess it's, it's where we – it's kind of morphed, I guess, from where it started. But it was originally Decoration Day where, yeah. you know, after Civil War, they celebrated and, and – and decorated the um, the cemeteries of the folks of the Union soldiers that died. It kind of morphed into, you know, after World War II, I think, um, celebrating all soldiers who died and, yeah. and turning it into barbecue weekend and the kickoff of summer. So uh, for, all, for everybody who served, whether they're living or dead, uh, thank you for your service. Again, we're going to talk about war movies uh, in this one. I even consulted our father a little bit on this since he is a, he's a vet of the Vietnam War. He was yeah. is, uh, is a Marine. So thank him for his service, and I did. Uh, I texted him a little bit as I was I was prepping up for this episode. Um, but one of the things before before we get into this, and I was thinking about, and I did a little research on, is uh, I'm going to play a little audio. We haven't played audio in a little while, so I'm going to start off playing a little audio. Okay, because I got and th- I got a couple other pieces of audio I want to play too, just because oh. it's really easy for us to pull them up on our phones rather than try to queue it up through your mm-hmm. your system and stuff. But there's when it comes to war films. Score is unbelievably important. Yeah, there you go. 
So can you can you make a Vietnam set movie and not use this? <laughs> can you like it's just immediately as soon as you hear it, if it's on a helicopter, I'm like, okay, they're in Vietnam. <laughs> That's, right. And- Kong Skull Island does the same thing, where it's a helicopter and they have a boombox and they play Fortunate Son. And I was like, oh, okay. They don't even have to like flash a title sequence where it says 1969 or whatever. You're just like, all right, yeah, they're in Vietnam. Yeah, and it, and it's a thing now where um, it, it, it it's so prevalent that it's almost like they're like the 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 music director's not even trying. Like if you play any CCR song yep. for Vietnam, it's like you're, you've given up. And and but I was thinking about that today. If you go back, I was trying to figure out where the genesis of CCR and not and not just Fortunate Son. I mean, that's kind of their most sure. I don't know most relatable war song, right? Vietnam War song, Fortunate Son, about you know the, the 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 sons of the rich and the sons of the centers and all that. Don't go to war, but the the every man goes to war. That type of thing. But yeah. but any of their songs and if you look like it's and, and and for a couple of reasons i've been able to track down and tell me your thoughts on this first of all ccr was only around for like i think five years but they put out seven albums seven out and it was all like in the span of the vietnam war wasn't right, it? it 68 was like, to 71 was 68, their heyday. Yeah. yeah like that sounds about right so you're talking about the the prevalency of music there wasn't the saturation that it is now so big bands were bigger than they would be now you know what i mean like there was a smaller sample size or a smaller, I guess, supply of music. So those big bands were enormous. That's where you get the Beatles pulling in, you know, 50 million people buying right. an album a day versus nowadays where people digitally download everything. Right. And and so I texted Dad and I was like, because I knew he liked CCR, right? Yep. So I, I was like, did you listen to CCR in Vietnam? And he said, no. He listened to Zeppelin the mm-hmm. turtles and then like, i don't know like a half hour went by and he's like he texted me like oh we really like sergeant peppers and my <laughs> response to him was like everybody likes sergeant peppers yeah. like you don't have to be in vietnam in in the 60s to to like sergeant yeah. peppers but he, hate, he hated the doors though i always remember even mentioning the doors he's like ah stupid jim morrison i was like all right fair enough right so that's the, oh go ahead well, just when you start talking about music that makes you think of war movies, the, the opening of Apocalypse Now with the end, with Char- with Martin Sheen basically losing his mind in a, in a, in a hotel <laughs> right. room somewhere. Like, Steve, do you know the story behind? Like, if you ever if you ever get a chance or when, when Charlie gets old enough to really delve into film analysis and, like, the behind the scenes, there's one called... I think it's called Hearts of Darkness and a filmmaker's apocalypse, and it's all about the making of apocalypse. Oh yeah, well I watched now. it in college. That was part of my film class in college, and I read Hearts of Darkness, which was in that James Joyce, Joseph and, Conrad. Hmm. Isn't it Joseph Conrad? Dollar bet. All right, dollar bet. I say it's James, not James Joyce. It's not James Joyce. All right. Um, I know that. I think it's Joseph Conrad. Was it Hearts of Darkness or Heart of Darkness? Heart, Heart of Darkness. The documentary is called Hearts of Darkness, which is all when... Yeah, Francis Hearts of Darkness and Filmmaker's Apocalypse. Yeah, well, yeah, I watched that in college, but who wrote the book? Well, no, Steve, that just came out. You did not watch it in college 30 years ago. 1991 is when it came out. The The documentary? Yes. Oh. And it was Joseph it's... Conrad. So are you a dollar? But I feel like no. I get a dollar back because you're no. like, it just came out. It came out in 91. Maybe they re-released it. All right, whatever. Yeah. But oh yeah, I mean the 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 delving in the madness that yeah. that happens to the characters in the movie happened to the film crew, mm-hmm. right? That was kind of if I remember from my, from college. The, 
they shot it in the middle of a civil war. I think they shot it in Cambodia, and it was right during the massive Cambodian. I, I think it was Cambodia. I could be wrong. It could be mm-hmm. Thailand or something. But it was in the middle of all this social unrest in, like, I think there was a coup going on, and like you know Brando being mm-hmm. Brando and him trying to shoot all this stuff authentically, and it just it it spiraled out of control. And Francis Ford <laughs> right. Coppola pretty much lost his mind. When he they was all did, it. like yeah. yeah, Marlon Brando and like, Martin Sheen had a massive. He had the Widowmaker. He had a massive heart attack because he was throwing, smoking like three packs of cigarettes <laughs> a day. Right. Like Steve, even when, like I, I'm, a, I'm a, I quit smoking a while ago, but even in my heyday, like when, in college when I was drinking a lot, like they're going through three packs of cigarettes a day is disgusting and, ter- <laughs> and terrible like, for yourself. So. That's one after the other. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, and that's yeah, you're ne- lighting. You're lighting your next one with the one you're still smoking like right. that's just you have yeah, one yeah. sticking out of each side of your mouth like ugh. and ugh. so it's funny so maya my my you know, freshman she's got one more book to read for her freshman english class she's got this long list of books and and she's got to read and it's got to be you know it's got to be uh, from a select book a right. select list of books and i was like do heart of darkness yeah and she picked it up and she looked at it and she's like no i'm okay and she's like i'm gonna read pet cemetery instead there you go wait that pet cemetery is on the reading list no it's it's approved it's 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 got to be like ninth grade level or it's got to be adult reading level type of stuff hey she read the handmaid's tale for her last one pet Pet cemetery is a great book it just surprises me that it's on a a reading a summer reading list yeah well it's not summer but it just has to be approved right it it can't be like you can't read judy bloom or whatever (laughs) clearly um Hey, so you, she, you show some respect. <laughs> you show some respect. Tales super, of the grade, nothing. Super fudge. Dude, I no. like literally, if I ever write a memoir, that's what it's going to be called. It's going to be Tales of a 40-Year-Old Nothing. Like, that's always... <laughs> and it's stuck in my head. It's just like the idea of super fudge and, and all of those. Like, you show some respect. Yeah, yeah so... And and I was like, hey, it takes place in um, what was I say? Like, like in the Amazon or whatever, but it takes place in yeah. like the Congo. Right, yep. the original book, I believe, takes place in the Congo, and then they reset it because as the as they go down the 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 river, yeah, it's in the it's in the Congo. So as they go down the the river, they delve deeper in the darkness, and they just moved it to Vietnam for Apocalypse Now. And as they yeah. went down the river, they go Lo- loosely further. inspired by Heart Heart of Darkness, yeah, exactly. loosely, loosely. But she wanted nothing to do with it. I was like, oh, that's a good book. And it takes place. I was like, it takes place in, like, the Amazon. She's like, it doesn't take place in the Amazon. It takes place in the Congo. And and it's only, like, 200 pages long. Like, it's not a long book at all. She picked up Pet Cemetery, and then she's like, yeah, this is a good book. It's even long, so now she's reading up. She's doing um, My Angelou. (laughs) All right. So it's getting to the end of the school year. She's, like, losing motivation. Yeah, that happens. But, But anyways, so... If if you trace and I and I did like I, I did a little research on this whole CCR thing. I was kind of curious where it came from. So the it seems that it it started in '78 with a movie, ironically enough, called "Who'll Stop the Rain." Yeah, Nick Nolte. I had Nick to watch Nolte that. and Michael Moriarty. Moriarty. Michael Moriarty. I had to watch that in film class. Yeah, this movie sucked. It's about like the <laughs> heroin smugglers, like former Vietnam. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. The movie sucks. It's so yeah. bad. And they use and they use Proud Mary, uh, yep. Hate Tonight, and Who Will Stop the Rain. Yep. And then Apocalypse Now. Then they come out with uh, um, they use uh, a cover of Susie Q, which isn't a CCR song, but yeah, 
they they kind of made it popular. Um, sure. And let's see what else. Who Lawrence was, I mean, Fishburne Lawrence, was like. Lawrence Fishburne was like fourteen when they, made, <laughs> when they made Apocalypse. Now he lied about his age just so he could get him, and like he ended up going on this madness quest with the rest of them. Yeah, nice. Good for you, Larry. The what? I said good for you, Larry. Oh, Larry. Larry Fishburne. Uh, the um, born on the Fourth of July, right? Because they sure. used born on the Bayou, yeah. and run through the jungle. Uh, I'm not going to say Air America. Well, I guess it's still a war movie, but it's yeah. the Mel Gibson, Robert Downey. It Take, takes place in country, I guess, if we're, yeah, going, another, if we're going that route. <laughs> another drug smuggling Vietnam yep. movie. Uh, what else? Then I think, wasn't it real big in uh, Forrest Gump? Sure, probably. Yeah. So that sounds, that it's sounds like about right. literally every, and part of the reason why, right? So doing this research, and there's, a, there's a Pitchfork article I might or may not post to Twitter <sighs> that this guy does a really good job going through it all was Fogarty and, and CCR, they sold the rights to, uh, what the hell was the name? Like some record label. Like they lost all the publishing rights. That's why you hear CCR songs everywhere. everywhere. So yeah, it's not like it became, it, it's not like it became in the public domain, but it was just by a company that was just like, we'll sell it for anything. We don't care. You want to use it in a soap commercial? Use it in a soap <laughs> commercial. You want to use it in a movie? Use it in a movie. Um, uh, what was it called? Crap. Uh, which one the, the the name of the company that bought oh, I don't the know. ccr songs i'm trying to find it real quick it was it, i remember being in that columbia house 15 d fantasy records 15 cds for a penny and then you yep. had to buy like one for 35 dollars every year for like the rest of your life yep, yep. and they use it and it's almost in like any 70s movie but vietnam movies in spe- specifically is ccr Sure. And again, it, it seems like it's a lazy turn. Well, like, no, it's not 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 necessarily lazy. It's just it's one of those cliches that it immediately it, it immediately gives you a time frame when you hear it. You know what I mean? You you right. show a little right. bit of bell bottoms, or or someone in a military uniform, and you play CCR. Just those two things will give you historical context time frame you know what i mean like that it's right. not necessarily lazy it's easy and sure i guess it is kind of lazy but that's why they exist like that's why cliches like that exist because it's the easiest narrative way to get somewhere fast yeah but still i mean there, and there's other there's other songs like you could sure. you could argue you could like Using a Marvin Gaye song before someone's going to hook up—that's a little like sure. you can. They could try a little harder, or walking on sunshine. You know, fortunate, before fortunate sons in Forrest Gump. Yeah, I was, just, I was looking through the soundtrack to see which one was on it. Yeah. So, and it goes on and on. Like I think, and and even and and this article even called out they did it in the. And I haven't seen the post, the Tom Hanks movie about the Washington Post. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. I think they used it in there too. Sure, that makes so. sense. Oh. And uh, the Big Lebowski isn't there? Isn't there? Uh... Yeah, doesn't does he hate? C- oh no, he hates the Eagles. <laughs> no, he could, no, yeah, because he he loses his uh, CCR tapes. Yeah, when yeah his car stolen. When his car stolen. Yeah. yeah, but who is he hates? He hates Glenn Fry, right? He hates Glenn Fry of the Eagles. Right, right. Yeah, fucking Eagles, man. <laughs> <laughs> but that's so. Not, anyways, anyways, not, I couldn't. I was thinking about war movies, and I was like, why does every Vietnam movie feel like it starts with like a helicopter Sorry. and fortunate son or whatever CCR well, they're and just so, 
There just happened to be a lot of helicopters in Vietnam as well. Right. But like my war movies, like they're not, they're not even all Vietnam ones. I only have a couple Vietnam ones on here. Well, we weren't allowed to watch that stuff. Remember, Steve? Like, I, Dad never really talked about it. Like, I'm not saying he had like PTSD or anything like well, that, but, but yeah, I mean, we I, weren't allowed to watch. I remember having the sneak to watch Tour of Duty, and I was always remember Tour of Duty is the one that opens. The credits were painted black, and that was like my mm. first exposure to the like big exposure to the Rolling Stones. Yeah, that's my favorite Stone song, by the way. Sure. Yeah. Um. So, so you bring up a good point, right? So, with with our with our father being a a, a vet, a veteran of Vietnam War, we, we war movies weren't really big. I even texted mm. him today. I was like, "Hey, of all the movies that you've seen, Vietnam movies you've seen, which holds most true?" And uh, his response, I mean, it was like, uh, "Typically, don't don't watch any, but Full yeah. Metal Jacket did boot camp well, yep. which we talked about off air, which." Again, I think that's uh, that holds true to you know his experience down there. I think he was in Fort Benning. He was Benning, maybe? I think. Yeah, he yeah. was he was with the grunts. No, at Camp Lejeune. Oh, I'm pretty sure it was Camp Lejeune was was Marine boot camp back in the '60s. Anyways, I always remember uh, him saying that the boot camp depiction in Full Metal Jacket was the closest to what his boot camp was. And the the story always or the the story always that I tell about that movie is Arlie Ermey, who everyone knows as Gunnery Sergeant Hartman now as the badass. Gunny. The, the gunner, yeah. yeah, it's Gunny, the guy that just rips them all new buttholes. Are he was a technical advisor that that Kubrick brought in for Full Metal Jacket. Like, wasn't even supposed to act at, at one point in time. Kubrick goes, "All right, take the actor that they had hired to be the gunnery sergeant at the time. Take him to the side and just read him the riot act like you would a new recruit." And so, and Arlie Ermey takes him over in the corner and goes for fifteen minutes straight, Steve, like that. It was one of those things like all the cast and crew was milling around mm. and then it slowly it got quieter and quieter and quieter as everyone's stopping watching this this guy basically berate an actor and he didn't repeat himself. He didn't stutter. He <laughs> right. didn't pause or say uh or um for 15 minutes straight. And then after it was over, Kubrick walks over and he goes, all right, so you're clearly my gunnery sergeant now. And now that guy who was the actor they originally hired is the... I don't know how vividly you remember that movie, but the guy shooting down the, the villagers, the get some guy in the mm-hmm. helicopter when they're flying out, that's the guy that they originally hired to, oh, be, really? the, <laughs> to be the main character. Like that first half of the mu- movie, it's it's Joker, it's Private Pile, and it's Gunnery. It's Gunny. Like those are yeah. the three main characters at the beginning. And so this guy went from being a main character to being demoted to basically just a, a 30 second cameo. But right. they brought him in, and that's. But that's Arlie Army. Like, he didn't have to learn how to berate these people. Like, he would just, like, there was stuff written in the script that Kubrick was like, if that doesn't feel right, say whatever you would say to everybody else. And it's like, right. the, how tall are you, Private Pile? Five, nine, Jesus Christ. I didn't know they stacked shit that high. Like, that's, <laughs> that's probably not the line that was written for him, right. but it, it works so authentically in it. Right. But then. Well, and I read that, I think one of the common misconceptions about him and his role was that most of his stuff was improvised and what he what Arlie Ermey said was that's not really true it was he collaborated with Kubrick taking yeah. Kubrick's source material 
and 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 making it something realistic that a drill sergeant would say. Sure. And then I think there's some ad lib in there because I think the whole thing about a reach around that was yeah. a complete ad lib. And Kubrick stopped and was like, "What's a reach around?" <laughs> and they told him, "Was like, oh, keep that in." So, yep. um, oh, oh, so while we're talking about this, I am Gunnery Sergeant Harkin, <laughs> your senior drill instructor. From now on, you will speak only when spoken to, and the first and last words out of your filthy suit will be. He's so good. So well, and, I, I like you, Private Joker. I'll let you come over to my house yeah. and fuck my sister. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean and he owned and just think about like the movie making process and yep. and how how different that like that wouldn't have been the movie that it is. You no, know what I mean like not at he, all is that movie and he and that first it's almost like it's two movies oh completely like the 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 training camp like basic training because and doesn't even and it's been a while since i've seen but doesn't even go to black at some point and all of a sudden you like then you're in country yeah then you're in country and it's clearly made by an agoraphobic who never wanted to leave england so he tried to dress up Vietnam to look like bombed out warehouses and stuff. Like I get there's parts of Vietnam that do look like that, but it literally looks like England. (laughs) Kubrick had, had basically shut down at that point. Wasn't going anywhere. Wasn't going to do anything. So there it's, it's very disjointed when you watch it all the way through, but only people, the only thing that people, any that people remember is, is boot camp is, is gunny. And then, me love you long time. Like that's the only thing people remember from the later part. Like, yeah, anything you want. <laughs> yeah. And but the like fact that's... the two live crew took that and put it into a song. Sure. G- genius on their part. Sure. And it, it didn't. I don't know if that's boots were made for walking. It come out a long time before that. Correct. And uh, that kind of repopulate. Pepsi <laughs> Klein, like when yeah. we came out, boots made for walking is probably the. 50s that's right yeah and then 60s. so that became i think that had a resurgence in popularity too but yeah like i i love that movie we actually the sound design on that is one of the most fascinating like especially when they get they get pinned down by the the female sniper at the end but you i couldn't tell you really what happens in the second half of the movie i can tell you beat for beat what happens in the first half during training camp or boot camp right but I couldn't tell you really what happens. I can tell. That was you. Nancy Sinatra, by the way. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. I don't know why I was thinking it was uh, Patsy Cline. Nineteen sixty-six. Well, that, yeah, I for some reason I thought it was Priscilla Presley in my head, and I was like, wait, that's not right. No, eh, no. Luckily, there was no bet there. That would have lost again. <laughs> yeah. Pen. yeah. Um, so, oh, so one of the things of, did you did you change the dry erase board to plus three for me? Uh, no, but I will do that. Good call. Um, I'm writing it down because I don't trust you. Yeah, well, I don't have a dry erase board yet. Um, and what was that on? Oh, that was on Hearts of Darkness. Joseph Conrad. Yeah, we've only been doing this for six plus seasons and you still don't have a dry erase board. I still can't believe this is episode 18. Yeah, there you go. That's a lot of... So, so one of the things, uh, before we jump into... Because war movies, like, I, don't want to, I don't know if there's, like, we can pick a favorite. We can talk about ones that are well done. Sure. The, the the thing that I as I was kind of going through this and thinking about war movies and I haven't seen a ton like it's not like I'm a war movie buff I think there's some people that are like seeing them all and there and there's tons and they would school me on this I, but I, I I do want to talk a little bit about the idea of 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 war movies and the, and the different types and and 
and kind of it seems like every major director has their war movie right you know in in some in some shape or fashion and in the war movies particularly the ones that are based and this is where i say they're kind of two different flavors right the ones that are based on actual wars and actual events sure right? so your your vietnam movies your world war 1 your war 2 your civil war um, what have you there, there, there's those and then you've got to take something where you have facts and and you have war and then you have to make it you have to find the story in there right yeah. you have well, to find yeah. one person's story because war is brutal like sure. i watched um hacksaw ridge the other night and, and and great, like it, they found one person's story, and they kind of put the magnifying glass on that. But the carnage in that movie yep. is brutal, and war is brutal. Like it's just a it's a brutal thing. Whether you're, whether you're talking about like Afghanistan and like something like a, like a hurt locker or whatever, or you're talking about Vietnam, like it's a brutal thing. So you have to find like the director and the storytellers and the screenwriters have to find have to find a story in these these mass particularly again if there was based on a real war where the facts are pretty indisputable you don't want to take liberties <laughs> with that or you take maybe some if you want to highlight sure things. Well, but you have to you have to take dramatic license steve because otherwise war right war is horrible for everybody involved so like all of these movies wouldn't have silver linings or happy endings if it was if it was completely authentic to the story itself. Like, you don't want to hear about the sniper who had 287 kills and then went and became a chronic alcoholic and then beat his wife and then was shot to death. Like, you don't <laughs> want to hear that. Like, that's, but that's, right. that's history. That's, that's it, the way it actually happens. So taking dramatic license without insulting or, right. or yeah, selling the le- legacy of it. Exactly, because you're they're entrusted with a certain amount of responsibility because you're yeah. dealing with you know people's legacies. You're dealing with, and again, you're dealing with time and history and, and the way things that play out. So, I thought that was interesting, right? When I looked, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna this is not a favorites list, right? No. This is more of a um, I'm gonna go through a couple of these. I, I certainly want your 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 input and, and, and thoughts on some of these. But like when I look sure. at Hacksaw Ridge, and and that was Mel Gibson, and we, yep. you know, Mel Gibson is, uh, I don't know, say, uh, say what you want about him as a person. The the man is a talented filmmaker. Like all of the movies that he's ever directed mm-hmm. have always been quality pictures. Like I I can't speak to him per se because yes, he's an anti-Semitic, over over masculatory piece of crap but he makes great movies like they always make yeah. the refer- the joke in South Park like you could say whatever you want about Mel Gibson as a person but the man understands story structure so yeah when you watch Hacksaw Ridge <laughs> that's that's made by a dude that understands how to massage the audience's psyche and and get yeah. get get you to root for Andrew Garfield's character and and sympathize for the 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 sacrifices that he makes or the sticking to his guns about not bearing arms and yeah i mean and that's a great i didn't know that story going in like i didn't know like i just i I put it on and i watched it and it was you know i was a lot a lot of these these war movies because you have you know you have to before you can just jump into war you gotta have to like you have to identify with the characters because War is about not identifying with individuals, right? War is like, you know, everybody's in the same uniform and they're fighting other people in the same uniform, right? 
you're, you're a faceless shoulder soldier. You kind of look the same. So you've got to find the stories in there. So the storytelling, I think, is a little challenging sure. to get done in a neat package. That's why a lot of these movies are longer. So anyways, I started watching Hacksaw Ridge. And I was like, I'll watch half tonight and half tomorrow. I finished the whole. I was up to like 2 o'clock in the morning watching it's, it. It's, ca- it's captivating cinema. It was good. And then and knowing that, and, and again, I know in the character in the, in the movie, um, what the heck was his name? I don't remember. Um, I haven't seen it in a bit. Yeah, but it, but you know, but he was a Seventh Day Adventist, and they talk about the Sabbath, and knowing that you know Gibson's got his, he's a he's a Catholic, but he's got his, you know, he he takes his faith, I think, pretty seriously um, in some of the movies that he's made and everything. So you could see that angle of the story coming across, but then you had this this character that had like the utmost integrity, and he's trying to do something that hadn't been done, and and then all the you know the spoilers, all the other supporting characters that were trying to keep him out of the army come up to him and tell him how wrong they were and then they finished by showing the actual guy mm-hmm. which i thought was what well, i thought was really cool and we've seen that approach in others like and i don't i wouldn't put this as a movie but band of brothers yeah. like i remember watching that you know that was a season what was it, like eight nine i don't remember how many episodes it was 14 what was it? It was 14. Steve, like, you, you want to talk about one of the things that I was infatuated with in college? Like, that that came out, I think it was my senior year, my second senior year. So I think it was 2002, <laughs> 2000, 2001, 2002. I used to, it was on Sunday nights at, I think it was either 8 or 9 o'clock. And we used to always go to the one bar on Sunday to watch football and have a couple of beers. And I used to get up and not say anything to anybody and just leave and just pay my tab, walk out, walk home by myself. And they would all come stumbling back in like an hour later. And I'd be sitting there by myself watching Band of Brothers because we didn't have, I'm not setting my VCR. Like I wasn't, I wanted to watch it live. Like Steve, I read the book. I read the, I think it's Stephen A. Ambrose. I read, I yeah, read, like all, I read like four or five of his books, became infatuated because all of those easy com- or easy companies from Pennsylvania, Steve, like, yeah, yeah. They're, the they're, all, yeah. yeah, they're all local boys. So like that, that just furthered me into the story. And I, I own it on, I own it on DVD. I, I, I bought it again when it came out, when they, the, the pro- part of the proceeds went to the wounded warrior and stuff. I, I bought it again in the remastered. Like I am infatuated with that, with that mini series because of what I felt was the, the best portrayal of, obviously we, we, we can't speak from a, a place of experience because neither of us have served. And I think it's a little bit insulting when we try to say it's the closest thing to it, but from what, other people have told me the brotherhood that you get when you go through combat together. I loved, love, love that miniseries. Well, so. and, and and I guess to my earlier point too is if you're doing it, what was that, fourteen hours or more? Mm-hmm. I mean, some of those ep- were they all an hour long episode? Mm-hmm. I can't remember if yeah, it was like all. Game of Thrones, but no, all you know, an hour. And, and so, but over fourteen hours, you can start to relate to the characters. Sure, right? you can understand. You can do character development on more than one character. It's really hard in a 90 minute 120 minute movie to to produce character development and have the conflicts and struggles of war and then have you know uh, and have a third act you know what i mean yeah. it's just that's really hard storytelling so band of brothers you were able to do that make it interesting but stitch it out so from the very beginning to the very end you watch these characters develop some of them don't survive some of them grow some of them regress and you get to see all that and it was it well, was well done and that was i mean Executive produced that Spielberg and Hanks. Spielberg and Hanks because they, right. they they fell in love with World War II after doing uh, Saving Private Ryan together. 
Like they they were always big into it. Don't get me wrong. Like Spielberg's always been a World War II buff, and Hanks got yeah. into it more so. But it was after that they did Band of Brothers, and then they did The Pacific, which was which was good. I just didn't think it was as good as Band of Brothers. But one of the things Band of Brothers did really good, Steve, if you remember correctly, it starts and it closes each episode with interviews from the real surviving members of Easy Company. But they would never they wouldn't put their title or they wouldn't put their name up at the beginning. It would just be these old men telling these stories about these people that they went into combat. And then at the end of the episode, it would pop up. Oh, this was Dick Winters. This is the guy that ended up taking over easy company and went into these battles. You know what I mean? So it was, it went from, it, it grounded it in that reality. Like these are the men that came out of these situations telling these stories. This isn't, a, a Hollywood fictional narrative turn on a story. You know what I mean? It's not the telephone game of things being bastardized and being told by different people that weren't really there. This is the story of these guys that are telling you this story yeah. of what they went through. So amazing. Yeah, it was yeah. amazing. It was amazing. You're right. And, and I think one of the things I read was that they did a lot of the casting was like, they wanted to find people that looked like that looked like them. Yep. Not only just could act, but could, that could look like, their real life counterparts, which I thought mm-hmm. was pretty cool. Yep. So I, I love that. Love that miniseries, Steve. Love it. it. Yeah. So so yeah. So you talked. So again, I would I, I put that up there. I don't actually want to watch it again. I watched Vince and I watched it like way back when. When was it out? Sure. Like Ten years ago. Yeah, it was two thousand two. 2001 2002 there was 10 episodes see sorry not 14 yeah so but it's still 10 hours um <laughs> you i never watched it imdb ranking 317 317,000 reviews 9.5 <laughs> yeah yeah it was, it was nine, nine hours good. and 54 minutes of the best television that you watch yeah. yeah so and i think it finished stronger than game of thrones but that's eh. <laughs> Like, don't even get me started. Like, just the hubris on fans that, that are trying to tell people how to write the end of an Emmy award-winning series. Yeah. Like, you may not like it. You may not agree with it. You may not have felt forced. But the hubris that the average fan saying, well, they should have done this. Like, slow your roll, people. <laughs> These people have spent their past 10 years of their lives dedicated to the show. And now you're telling me that they're mailing it in. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. Yeah, it was tough. It's hard to end a show like that. It was. It's hard to end when you. Pass, it's hard well, to end. Period. Past this, <laughs> when you're past the source material, mm-hmm. you know Martin and I. You know I didn't watch a ton of it, but you turned me on to it. And I watched a, a decent amount. I kind of ebbed yeah. and flowed in and out of Thrones. Part of the reason why is because Martin does all this, able to like he does long builds on yeah. character development. Sure, right? it's a long build. It's a long crescendo, and it kind of ended without that that like it just ended a little bit differently than it was the, than the the first seven seasons were but we can dedicate a whole a whole episode to that. To but if you want it. if you want to tie it together what we're talking about the military strategy in the last season of game of thrones is the most abhorrent military strategy <laughs> of it. Like, dude like even i know you don't send the cavalry in first like where they were, <laughs> When they're fighting, they're fighting the Night King. They send the they send the cavalry yeah. out first. Like that's not the way it works. So you bombard it with artillery first, and then you send the cavalry right. in afterwards. So if you have like flaming balls that could light up where the 
cavalry is going to be running yeah. in with their horses versus pitch blackness. Like, come on. Yeah. There's a guy that wrote, it says, I think it was like critical military, military strategy analysis by someone who's never served in the military. And he went like piece by piece and like broke it down. And then like all these defense contractors and like people that worked at Department of Defense started coming in like, yeah, we completely agree. This is the worst military strategy ever. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Like Max Brooks. Yeah. Because he does a lot of that, whatever. Um, there's a yeah. We we could do Game of Thrones. I don't want to. Um, <laughs> uh, it's 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 a again. It's it is what it is. Um, so let's talk through. So we we talked about Spielberg and Hanks doing Band of Brothers. They also yep. did Saving Private Ryan. Now yep. it's been a long time since I saw that movie, but I remember. And that's another one that where you take the backdrop of war and you stitch together the war but you stitch together a story in there i say yeah. stitch together i mean you, you you're able to you're able to follow a handful of characters plight through the backdrop of backdrop of war sure you and isn't that to. one of the top ranked like if you look at i mean war movies i mean and again we're gonna sure. go through a couple others but i think saving private ryan was probably partially because it was spielberg and because it was the way it was shot and, and pa- like partially because of spielberg partially because of that the invasion of Normandy, that opening sequence in there is now the like the gold standard of I remember that right after it premiered, they actually had I think it was actually on the beach in Normandy. They did it on Omaha Beach and they flew in every surviving member of the U.S. military or every surviving veteran of World War Two from the U.S. military and the British military. And they had a screening there and like everybody started bawling just because of how well like they were like that's as close to the what you what we experience is that we've ever seen like you get other reenactments you get the the john wayne you know 50s and 60s movies that are more gung-ho hurrah blah 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 where this is just like you get dumped into the crap immediately like it starts with you following Tom Hanks's character on the, the 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 beach loader or whatever they called it the the ship yeah, yeah. and they open yeah. that front gate and then the 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 German fortification just opens fire and like everybody just gets mowed down and it's yeah. just from that point forward you're just going and going and going and I remember them telling the story of the premiere and all of the the D-Day veterans were just like holy crap we don't know how you did it it felt like you were there with us I mean I think they shot it on the actual beaches because it's all of those anti anti watercraft and anti aircraft embankments and stuff are still there. Like they're, right. they're just, they were built to last and they're still there. So they shot a lot of it there. And I remember them talking about Spielberg brought in a bunch of, uh, uh, amputee, amputee victims or people that were missing arms and legs. So you could accurately show people that had limbs blown off, by you know mines and explosives and things like that the scene of the guy looking for his arm i don't know if you remember that oh right oh god yeah where he's just walking around completely shell-shocked just looking for his arm i mean that was a guy that clearly he literally didn't have an arm either so but that added to that realism and then yeah i love that movie too yeah it's been a long time since i've seen it but i mean again i think and uh, what were the awards on specs on that one? Like, uh, hold on, I got it up. I could, I could do a lot. I was gonna it's say number twenty-eight on top-rated movies. Yeah. Won five Oscars. Yeah, but you always say five Oscars, and it's like best sound, best design. director, best cinematography. Okay, there you go. Kaminsky, 
best sound, best film editing, best effects. Yeah. So good. Then it was nominated for best picture, best actor in leading role, Hanks, best yeah. writing. I know they se- I know they separated Matt Damon from the rest of the crew when they were going through like combat training just so they would feel resentment towards the actor which would carry through because they all show up and they all think it's bullcrap that they have to risk their lives <laughs> going after one dude. And so they wanted it. Spielberg wanted it to feel contentious between them. Mm-hmm. And they, he specifically separated Matt Damon from the rest of them. So when they finally do get there, like, Oh, where was this a hole when we were doing combat training for the past yeah. six weeks? So yeah, so good. And he picked Matt Damon cause he wanted Matt Damon cause he wanted a largely unknown actor and then yep. like goodwill hunting. Like, Who came out right before it. <laughs> right yeah. before it. Yeah, I did. I did know that. I also the 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 cast or the characters like Tom Sizemore is great. Ed Burns is great. You forget that I Vin love Diesel, Ed Burns. Vin, like, Diesel, Vin Diesel's in it. Yeah, like, you forget that he was an early. That was an early yeah. movie for him. Yeah, I think that was one of his first movies. But Adam Adam Goldberg is that his name? I'm gonna say that wrong because of the stupid Goldberg show. Isn't it him? Yeah, Adam Goldberg, Private yeah. Melish. Yeah, he's the one that gets stabbed to death at the end. And then Barry, Barry Pepper as the sniper. What do they call him? God. He's the one that always sends... He, right before he shoots, he always says the prayer. So good. I'm looking through... What was his name? Oops. Barry Pepper. He's Private Jackson. I'm looking at it right now. It just doesn't say... Oh, doesn't he, say I, I might be thinking of another movie where he plays the sniper where they call him mm-hmm. God. I don't think he would actually... Because that doesn't I mean, seem and, like... And, and what a good cast. I mean, like, yeah. that's the thing about Spielberg. He can, he can bring the house. Giovanni yeah. Ribisi is probably... Ribisi, what? Ribisi, Ribisi, Ribisi. Come on, the man. guy from the, the guy from My Two Dads. Um. <laughs> I was going to say Phoebe's brother from Friends, but now let's see what his first credit is. Uh, anyways, I think great actor, probably very underrated. Yeah. Oh yeah. This is I. I always, if you ever saw him in a movie called The Other Sister with him and Juliette Lewis, where they play mentally challenged, don't, anytime I see or hear about that movie, I just think of Robert Downey Jr. from Tropic Thunder. Never, go, <laughs> never, never go I, full. Never go full. That's not on my. Uh, that's not on my list. <laughs> but I mean, there's so many like. Think about the amount of people that show up in like small cameos, like Ted Danson. <laughs> well, right, yeah, of, yeah. He just comes out of nowhere, comes walking up. You're like, oh, look, it's Ted Danson. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. So, all right. So we talked. So we've got we've got Gibson showing out for Hacksaw Ridge. We've got Spielberg with Band of Brothers, Saving Private Ryan. Sure. You've got the Stone trilogy. Now I'll say it's a trilogy. I only know that because I've, but I've only seen Platoon and Born on the Fourth of July. Um, but there's a third one in there, right? I figured you'd know this. What? Which one? Oh, the Oliver Stone, his three, like, Vietnam or war movie. What was the third one? Oh, I'm gonna... oh God. JFK? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Like, why would you think that, like, dude, this is, again, this is where you're coming into, you think Oliver Stone is in my wheelhouse? Like, you all, you know don't... Oliver Stone is a nut job, right? Well, of course, but you know, um, yeah, I got nothing. Heaven and Latin. Earth was that it? I don't even know what that. Maybe yeah, Heaven Heaven and Earth during the Vietnam War it came out in '93. I don't. I wouldn't consider this just because it says during the Vietnam War, and it doesn't sound like it says a Vietnam or Vietnamese woman struggles hustling on the streets. 
Like, that doesn't well, sound like a war movie to me. All right. Well, anyways, he, um, it, but he, you know, his, it, for me, Full Metal Jacket, or not Full Metal Jacket, um, uh, Born on the Fourth of July was, yeah. uh, that, and that was Tom Cruise with the, you know, in, in the wheelchair and comes home. And, and, and they dealt with, you know, and Stone's always been pretty controversial and, you know, yeah. well, the push the envelope creates some controversy and things like that. So, you know, they showed they showed the other side of war, right? They showed the the soldier coming back, and you know, he's he's injured, he fought valiantly, but now he's kind of a I don't say a protester, but he is. I mean, he's 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 on the other side of it. So, um, you do know that Oliver Stone was a he's a vet, right? Like yes. The, the reason that Oliver Stone is so vested in, in Vietnam is because he served over there for a while. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just don't know him and um, whoever you co-wrote uh, uh, Born on the Fourth of July with. That's um, Ray, Ray Kovats. That's the guy that wrote the book. Ron Kovic. Ron, Ron Kovac. Kovic. I say Kovic. I see. Kovic. Yes. Ron Kovic. Yeah, and, it, it, and he's the character. The guy who wrote the book and, yeah. and the character in the movies are the same. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's his biography. Correct. So, anyways, I, I, again, I think you know Stone Oliver Stone has his his thing. The only the only fun fact I have about that, which again, I think a completely different movie. If Tom Cruise isn't in it, I think Tom Cruise is is, is good in it. He kind of immersed himself. You know, sure. Spent a lot of time in the wheelchair. Um, you know, kind of did that method acting thing. But it was almost cast Nicolas Cage, Oof. your buddy. Yep. <laughs> Or Sean Penn. Nicolas Cage would have been interesting. Would have been interesting. And Sean Penn would have been good, because Sean Penn's a psychopath, too, that would have gotten in the That's role true. the same That's way. True. So, But I don't know. Like, I, I remember seeing Platoon. I, I remember seeing Born on the Fourth of July, but I see I, Platoon as the better of the two. But I don't, like, I don't, I can't speak for the war part of it. I can't speak for the actual combat or the serving in country. Like, anytime you ask vets, they're just like, no, they, we can tear apart any military movie about the way their shirts are buttoned or the way, <laughs> right. you know what I mean? Like, they can tear that stuff apart where well, we don't see it that way. We see it all like, oh, that was a really good war movie. But they're like, nah, they would never have done that. And they wouldn't allow us to do this. And, but I don't know. I, I it's hard. It's hard when you start talking about like favorite war movies because war movies are inherently depressing. Or at yeah, least I wouldn't say really I wouldn't say thick. favorite, but it's you know. well. That's why, like, when we talk about stuff like like when you say favorite war movie, like I it immediately came to Glorious Bastards. Like that's the mm. only like fun World War Two movie I can think of, and like even that's not fun. It's right. it's just incredibly well made. The the opening sequence with Christoph Waltz coming to the the French farm. And telling the story about what, asking about where the, the Jews are under the floorboards and but like even that's not fun. It's just more right. it's more entertaining because it's a little bit it's cartoonish, which takes away the horribleness of it. I guess. Right, right. Yeah, and I haven't seen that one. That was on my try. How have you list. like do you do you hate do you hate Tarantino because you no. never saw pulp you no. never saw Pulp Fiction or Kill Bill or anything <laughs> that no. he's ever made ever? No. What Tarantino movies have you seen? Um, well, here I'm going to pull up his list and I'm going to read them off for you. <laughs> oh, and everyone, everyone that you haven't haven't seen is a dollar to me, and everyone that you have seen uh, is a dollar back to you. Uh, I saw um, no, Reservoir Dogs. We're not doing that. Yes, Res- I've seen that. Okay, Pulp Fiction. No. Uh, Hateful Eight. No. Django Unchained. Nope. Kill Bill. Nope. Inglorious Bastards. Nope. Death Proof. Nope. 
Uh, Jackie Brown? Mm, nope. Okay, so yeah, you haven't seen you've seen Reservoir Dogs. All right, now if we, go all, if we go to Oliver Stone's list, I've seen uh, Platoon, Wall Street, Born on the Fourth of July, The Doors, JFK, Natural Born Killers. Uh, I'm I, I'm missing what you're trying to establish. <laughs> I don't know. It's not like I don't watch movies. <laughs> it's like, I just, you watch yeah, Oliver Stone missing. movies versus Quentin I guess, Tarantino. and I don't know why. I guess because Oliver Stone hit his arc, like right when I was getting into the film, right when I was hitting college. Sense. Right, so Born of the Fourth of July was eighty nine. Yeah. The Doors was ninety one. JFK was ninety one. Yeah. So, so yeah, they're like yeah, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction and all. That's that's when I started coming into really starting to like. I remember going to. And see, what was that? What year was what year was Pulp probably, Fiction? Ninety four, ninety five. So I was like fifteen. I think Reservoir Dogs was ninety three. Was his first one? I could be making that up. Hold on. Pulp Fiction was ninety four. You're right. Ninety four. Well, I remember I went in high school. Uh, the Erie Playhouse was the only theater in the country that was sanctioned by Tarantino to do a stage play of Reservoir Dogs, and I went and saw it opening night with my then girlfriend. And Tarantino was in the back row, and I was trying to get back to him to go get a picture and an autograph, but he was in and out. So but it was yeah. it was great. Like it was one of my like one of my favorite plays I ever went and saw was. And what? And what? what, what wait, which one did they do? It was Reservoir Dogs. Oh wow! Because it all takes place at the warehouse. Oh right! So they can all do it the, all. On they had they had a guy sitting over to the side that was kind of looked like Stephen Wright and was doing the K Billy of the Super Sounds. Like he was like a radio DJ, like sitting behind the big microphone and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And he would he would do the cut ins. And then it was all just the warehouse stuff. Like, all the rest of it was, like, either off screen or you just heard, like, the sound of the robbery going wrong. Right. But it was great. Like, they used all the music. The, 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 when Mr. Blonde cuts off the cop's ear was all done. The Steeler's wheel was, and he did, he does the dance and he, and he splashes the, it was great. Nice. But yeah. All Sorry right. To go so, off on a tangent. Yeah, no, no. And, and so I got, I got, Two more on my list, but I want, again, I want to stick with this directors tackling their their war movies. I guess I probably should get. I should have picked the Eastwood one, but I know you're a big Christopher Nolan fan. So, I am. and and I remember when Dunkirk came out. I think Charlie had maybe read. He knew all about it before it even came out. So we watched, we watched that. And that's again another one. It's like a factual yeah. event that maybe some people know about, some people don't. But they were able to take that whole thing of them on that on that beach and, 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 and again, weave it into a story, make it relatable, pull out a character in there and that yep. whole thing, which I thought was, I thought it was really well done. Well, like the, they were the, some of the behind the scenes stuff said Nolan specifically designed it to be three separate movies. So it's, it's land, land, sea and air. So it's the land is when they're, it's the, uh, Harry Styles and the other people that are waiting on the beach for the extraction. Then it moves to Kenneth Branagh, for the sea part of it where they're trying to get the evacuation going. And that's when the, the civilians mm -hmm. start showing up or at least take it upon themselves to start coming across the channel to evacuate. Yeah. And then it moves to air and it moves to Tom Hardy's spitfire dogfight of them doing aerial support for it. And it works. And it, mm -hmm. and it's one of those things that, yeah, you follow the three separate storylines and there's even a little bit of like a design choice that they do. Like the first, if you look at the actual logo for Dunkirk, it's the the word the the actual word Dunkirk is in three separate shades of blue. There's a light blue that's supposed to be for 
the the or I think it's light blue, dark blue, and then white. White is for the land, dark blue is for the sea, and then light blue is for the air. Nice. And it's all of these all of these specific choices that he uses in order to weave this because it str- straightforward. It's a really easy. It's a kind of a simple story to tell. These people need to get off the beach. They're about to get blown up, and <laughs> like, that's it's pretty simple. But in order to craft this really com- or take this simple tale and cre- create this complicated narrative, is Nolan knows what he's doing, and especially when it comes to stuff like that. the The opening, I forget what it is. The first like forty minutes of silent. There's no dialogue. With them just walking around. Remember, they, 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 it starts with them walking up to the beach with all the propaganda leaflets falling out of the sky. Right, it's right. The, it's the soldiers walking. So Nolan and the composer Hans Zimmer use this thing called the shepherd's tone. And now the shepherd's tone is, I don't want to say a cheat, Steve, but it's a, it's this it's these three tones overlapped on each other. So it always sounds like it's getting louder, but it's not. So they originally started messing around with it. Anytime the Joker shows up in the Dark Knight, it's a really it starts really low and it starts getting louder. Oh, and yeah, louder. About but it. yep, yep. it's three specific tones that are overlaid on each other. That when the one is ending, the other one is starting. So it constantly sounds like it's getting louder and louder. <laughs> right. But it's not changing pitch whatsoever. But your brain doesn't know how to process it. So you immediately become tense and you don't know why. Right. So that first 40 minutes of the dialogueless scene of them making it to the beach and trying to make their way onto the ship, the shepherd's tone is building in the background. I remember realizing I was squeezing the armrests at the theater that we went and saw it at. I went and specifically found, because he shot it in 70 millimeter, which is what Tarantino did, Hateful Eight, but it's the big... The panoramic, mm-hmm. the the really really wide, and there's only a few places in the area that they do it at the the Franklin Institute here in Philly, and there's a couple other places that do it. So I specifically went and found one that was showing in the the seventy millimeter, and I remember turning, and my hands like were red because I was squeezing the the armrest, <laughs> and I didn't right. know why. And then afterwards, uh, there was an article or two that was written about this thing called the shepherd's tone, and then I did some more research into it and I was like, Oh, that makes a ton of sense. But that's one of those things, Steve, like you referred to playing CCR as like a cheat or an easy way. Like Mm -hmm. that's a backhanded way to build tension without building tension just by using a simple audio. Like that's one of the things that I always love talking about when it comes to Dunkirk. Yeah. And Hans Zimmer's really good about really good doing, (laughs) doing that stuff and, and, and building tension and and conveying just not just tension, but emotions through his scores. Awesome. Well, and then Nolan's one of those, he's a filmmaker that he understands how to really immerse you in it. So like all of the, the dogfight sequence in that spitfire is either done in a real flying spitfire that he mounted a camera to, and then the obviously it's not it's not Tom Hardy flying it, but <laughs> right. it's the the guy who owned it who's like, yeah, he's like, I know how to do. He's like, I take it to air shows and stuff all the time. I could do some cool stuff with it. And Christopher Nolan's like, okay, and just strapped a camera to like the wing facing at him and then from behind and did all of this stuff. So it felt like you're actually in the cockpit with him. And then in the sequence where the ships are being sunk or you're in the water, the cameramen are floating with the actors they're not on chase boats i'm sure there's a couple cameras on chase boats but they have 
the cameramen are floating there with you so you get that natural bob and weave of the ocean the ebb and flow of the ocean waves right. rather than a manufactured way to do it so Nolan's just the master of what he does. He can be pretentious and preachy at times, but man, when he's when he does when he really tries to wow you with some stuff and I love Christopher Nolan. Sorry. So, that was no, so that that was kind of the ones that I want wanted to cover. Do you have anything else on uh on your list? Yeah, I have a few other ones. I mean if I really want to flex my nerd cred, you go all the way back to like Bridge Over River Kwai and Dirty Dozen. The only reason I bring up Dirty Dozen is because dad looks like Teddy, Telly Savalas. And so we used to always watch <laughs> Telly Savalas stuff growing up just because, but Dirty Dozen is great. But no, the one, I have Bridge one, Over the River, a Bridge on the River Kwai. On, on the River Kwai. Whatever. It's not, it's you're going to you're you're dig me on semantics. But no, yeah. one of the ones I wanted to bring up was did, have you ever seen Fury? No, the, but the, I saw the, that show up in some lists, but I haven't seen it. I haven't seen Fury or Fury Road. Well, I guess I, I saw Fury Road. You saw Fury after. Road th- three times through your eyelids. I didn't finish it. But <laughs> no, but Fury is, for me, the, the especially when it comes to war, it can feel really redundant. Like, you've seen these stories over and over again. I've never, I, there was some that came out in the 60s that I, I missed, but I'd never seen a really good tank a tank combat one and that's mm. fury is, is for me is kind of the the gold standard when you talk about something i hadn't seen before when it comes to world war ii i'm a world war ii fanatic i've read a lot i've read a lot of books about world war ii i watch a lot of world war ii movies but i had never seen actual tank combat done and from all the accounts that i've read done really really well and and it's one of those movies that the you believe it's your boy johnny barenthal plays I, I shit you not his character is called coon daddy i believe <laughs> they they all have they all have ridiculous like nicknames like shia labeouf apparently went completely uh went completely method like knocked his own tooth out and refused oh to sh- refused to shower during the the duration of of filming just to kind of get into there were tank guys man tank guys aren't getting into barracks like you sleep in your tank that's but right. that's that movie is one of those ones that you never really thought about that before. I was like, oh, yeah, like tank guys wouldn't get to go back to like a barracks and take a shower and stuff. You sleep in that you sleep in that tank. That tank is your home. And that's the the combination of a really, really good cast of Brad Pitt and Shia LaBeouf. And mm. I, I love Michael Pena and, and Johnny Barenthal playing these these four or five dudes that are on this tank. And you 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 feel for these guys and. I had never seen it done and done really, really well. And then once you watch it a few times, the sub, all the little David Hayter or David Ayer, the guy that wrote and directed it, has some hit or miss. He wrote, he wrote Suicide Squad, and he's done mm. some really good stuff, but he's done some crap. But I think this is one of those ones that he used to. There's stories about how he gets the actors into the right mindset. He had them fight each other. Like, before they went on camera, like, they would just have to go up and, like, start pushing and, like, yelling at each other. So that contentious brotherhood of a tank crew would feel legitimate when it went on screen. So, But there's all this, like, subtext about Brad Pitt's character. Like, he's way too old to actually still be in combat in World War II. But only if he had done something in his previous military career to warrant that. So, like, he carries a a pistol that was standard issue in World War One. So he would have been a veteran of World War One and that's the only reason he's still 
commanding a tank in World War Two. It's all this stuff. Like once you start going down that rabbit hole, there's a lot of stuff that actually nice. check checks out historically. So. But then there's there's two other ones. Well, three actually. Glory. I can't talk about war movies without talking about Glory, which is one of my favorite. Yeah. That the the soundtrack is fantastic. But um, Defiance. I just got to bring that up because that's just about our Polish our Polish brothers getting sick and tired of the Nazis in, <laughs> in World War Two, and it's it's about the the Polish uprising. It's Daniel Craig and Liv Schreiber, and it's about the. I forget what the brothers' names are, but they were the ones that ended up starting the the Polish resistance or the the biggest the biggest faction of the Polish resistance. But it's by a by a guy, uh, by a guy named Ed Zwick who did Glory. This is the only other reason I bring that up. Oh, nice. But then, but then there's another one. Have you ever seen Three Kings? The one with George uh, Clooney and Mark and- Wahlberg and Ice Cube and Spike Jones and. I love that movie. Yeah, I that was. I forgot about that. But that, yeah, that was like that was a while ago, right? Nineties. Lo- yeah, I mean, yeah, it was. Dave, it's David O. Russell, the director, the guy that did. He did The Fighter and American Hustle, and he met like uh, what was the other one? He did some really weird, really weird comedy with uh, Dustin Hoffman. I forget what that one was, but he did a. It's a Iraq. I think yeah, it's the yeah. first. It's the first Desert Storm. Persian Gulf, yeah, yeah. It's the first Desert Storm, and it's George Clooney, and it's the behind the scenes of it sounds like it was one of the worst sets to to work on. Like David O. Russell was kind of just a uh, kind of an upstart director at the time, and Clo- he didn't really want Clooney, and Clooney was kind of forced onto him by the by the studio and stuff. But what they that film, what they were able to do, it, it's war that didn't look like war i had seen before like even from the very beginning of it's it's completely quiet and it's just mark Wahlberg's character and one iraq soldier who i think is waving a white flag or something and he just goes are we shooting the guy was like what are are we shooting today are we shooting people and it just sets the context of (laughs) dude we had never been in a conflict like that before like it was just it was so out of our our normal ground warfare that it just felt so weird and it immediately throws you off and, and it becomes, and it's funny and it's quirky. And it's the first one I remember seeing that was shot through that, like that bleach bypass where like all the colors were really washed out. And that became kind of the, the calling card of any Iraq or any Persian Gulf movies or Iraq war movies that came out, kind of used that as a, but I love that movie. Oh, nice. I've totally forgot about that. Yeah. And, you know, there's a couple others that are, again, Three Kings. Was that a true yeah. story? No. 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 No, it wasn't. Red Dawn. Mm-hmm. You can say that's a war movie. Mm-hmm. Love me some Red Dawn. Love me Wolverines. Yeah. Um, and Braveheart. Sure. Again, that, Mel Gibson. You, but no. you want to talk about a factually inaccurate. He didn't direct that. I don't he just so. it? Yeah. I, I bet you a dollar. All right, I can go two in the hole on this one. Brave, how many have the vice? Brave Heart. Oh, he did. It was directed by Mel, Mel Gibson. Gibson. Yeah, but you want to talk about one that's that? I'll take that. Do- you can have that dollar right, back. So I get a dollar back plus two. Back to two. Back to two. Um, you want to talk about factually, historically inaccurate, Steve? Like not even close. Right. Like not even. But close. a good movie. Sure. But you, you have to. Janine's my wife's favorite movie of all time, Braveheart. Um, 
two VHS tapes. It's so freaking long. <laughs> right? It's, uh, yeah. how long is it? Uh, two hours and 58 minutes. Yeah, it's long. 8.4 out of almost a million reviews on IMDb, 8.4. I think it Not also quite has... Band of Brothers territory. But... One, I think that it has one of the... It, it, has a, it has a litany of like anachronisms in it. I think at one point where they do the mooning sequence, where he lifts it up, there's one guy that clearly has boxers on. <laughs> there's a bunch of stuff like that like in the background like if you really comb through it i think there's one where you actually see like a truck driving in the background like nice. just, but yeah like, like a I starbucks cup kind of yeah Daenerys. did you see there was a water bottle in the last episode <laughs> like come on come on no you guys trying to get done and get out of here but come on yeah but, all right and i do love me some red dawn um well, that's why when you were talking about fictional war movies, I didn't know what the hell you were talking like, about. But well, then, like I guess, Rambo. Yeah. Well, like, First Blood. First Blood does not. I would not. First Blood is not a war movie. Like Rambo is. First Blood Part Two, sure. Rambo Three definitely is a war movie. Apparently, we decided <laughs> to go to war with Russia. Yeah. But that's why Actually, when you movies, said, yeah. yeah, when you said <laughs> fictional war movies, I was like, wait, those are things. I was like, I didn't even know what you're. Yeah, but Red Dawn, we, I mean, like, you know, well, but that was actually it, based, it was based on War Department of where our weaknesses were at the time. The weaknesses sure. were, uh, uh, was it Russia and, I want to say Cuba, but wherever. Yeah, it was Cuba. Where, where'd the attack, is that, was that where the attack came from? No, no the attack was Montana. They came down through, they, they no, landed. No, but who and, attacked us? Oh, it was, the, it was Russians in Cuba. No. Was it, dude. I'm not betting another dollar, but I'm pretty sure. Soviet forces, but I felt like there was... Hold on, let me go. I read something on this. I had some other ones on here. I need, I need better notes. Zero Dark Thirty. Hurt Locker. Hurt Lock, I haven't finished Hurt Locker. I've got like an hour left. That's <laughs> really good. Da, das it, Boot. It, das Boot. Das Boot is a great, great movie. Jurgen Perchow. So good. Who? Jurgen Perchow. You would, you would recognize him when you saw him. He's the guy from, have you ever seen In the Mouth of Madness? The John Carpenter, Sam Neill. Yeah, yeah. He's the he's the writer. He's the guy that he has that Sam Neill has to go find. That's Jurgen Per, per Chow, I think is what his name is. He's also the, the leader of the Germans in Beer Fest. <laughs> <laughs> the, nice. Yeah. But that was really it's a it's a German submarine movie. Oh you uh, U571 or U-boat mm. movie. I always bring up Patton too, just for that, just for the musical score. And oh, that was, yeah. I did, I did a report on Patton in high school. So instead of reading anything, I decided to watch the George C. Scott one, thinking it was completely factually accurate. And my, my paper was poorly graded. <laughs> <laughs> I remember even the, the person said it was like, yeah, this this report seems like it was written by someone who only watched the movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Oh, I still I can't find one, one other one, Steve, that I'm probably not a lot of people have heard of. And, and if you have heard of it, you probably don't like it. Have you ever seen Master and Commander? Yes. Yeah, the, yeah. That was the Russell Crowe, Paul Bettany one. Dude, you want to talk about like stuff that I hadn't seen before? I'd never seen colonial naval warfare like that before. <laughs> I never realized like what cannons were for. I was like, why are you trying oh. to shoot giant pieces of metal at people? And then I was like, oh, it's not designed to hit people. It's designed <laughs> to, to rip a boats. boat apart. Yeah. 
So yeah, good. no. When we had our when we had the when I had the really good sound system yep. in the in the home theater, it, that Master and Commander was one so because good. it had a really modern soundtrack, and it mm-hmm. was like when they first came out, like DTS and like more of the advanced. That thing would rock like that so soundtrack. Good. The, so good, like the, that is the not not weapons. everybody's cup of tea is is colonial naval right. warfare. But man, if you like that kind of stuff, or at least intrigued and can be entertained by that stuff, that is a hidden gem. But yeah, Torah, Torah, Torah. I had a couple. Have you ever seen a documentary called Restrepo? You want to talk about? Yes, <laughs> that, that illustrates. Yeah, I think you, the, I think you told me to watch it like probably. years ago, right? It's, it was it was when, a Netflix. Well, yeah, it was, it, it was, he was a CNN correspondent, I think is the guy, but he took all the footage and he, and I think he sold it to Netflix, but there's two of them. There's a follow-up. I forget how to print it. Corin Corengal. It's about the same conflict, but it's told from a different perspective. It's told from the other side. It's dude. It's fascinating. That's like one of those ones I want to bring up during the documentary episode that we're never mm-hmm. going to do. Cause you don't watch documentaries ever, but I, I do. I just watched <laughs> one on Robert Johnson. Which I would love to talk about. Did you watch that? It's like a, is, I think it's a fairly short one. Who is Robert Johnson? Like the 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 guy who created essentially the blues, oh, the Delta okay. Blues. Okay, why you say that like I'm supposed to like Steve? You're the you're the music yeah, I know, dude, but <laughs> you should watch it. There's only sure. like this guy's more the guy's more legend than real person. There's only two known photographs of him. Hmm. <laughs> but it, he was the one basically that the whole he went to the crossroads. Like he was like. He was like an okay guitar player and stuff, and he uh-huh. disappeared and came back, and he was like this amazing, and it was like he made a deal with the devil. He went to the crossroads. Like that whole story comes from Robert Johnson, okay. and they did a documentary on it. And they interview all sorts of cool, like you know, rock guys and everything, and, yeah. and, and they and they but they go back to that whole thing. Like he basically created the Delta Blues, and nobody and and nobody knows a lot about him, and his his life went all over the place, and he died at like twenty seven. Which is yep. where the whole I'm getting now. I'm giving the whole documentary away. Spoiler: <laughs> He was the first one, right? All the the all like Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, um, yep. Jim Morrison, the, Kurt Cobain, Cobain, all died in 27. He yep. was the first. Yeah, I'm looking should, at it now. It's kind of cool. Watch it. It's really. Where'd good. you Where'd you watch it on? Uh, television. God, I hate you <laughs> so much. <laughs> Really? Like you could have just said, "Hey, Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu." You had to take the lowest hanging fruit. Yeah, I watched. Well, I watched it with my eyeballs. It's it's on Netflix. Such an asshole. Netflix. Yeah, thanks. You could have just said that first. You just had to try to be clever. Like, uh, I made a funny. But Uh, now I can't find that. How about Torah, Torah, Torah? Gettysburg. Gettysburg is just appropriate. I had that on my list. Gettysburg. Yeah. I mean, just because I've been to there. I've been to the Gettysburg War Memorial and a lot of our, a lot of the weirdos that I've met in the film industry are all Civil War reenactors. So, there's that. (laughs) What are you doing? I'm still trying to find this quote, like where, like what the threat was in Red Dawn. The only other thing I was thinking of was the first PG-13 movie was Red Dawn. Yeah, that was the first one that was released, but yeah, Mango Kid got it first, but it was delayed. It was on the shelf. Yeah, yeah, we talked about this before, did we? Yes, the 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 main the biggest release that got it that year was uh, Temple of Doom. Well, Temple of Doom is actually the reason that it exists. 
because it was rated PG PG and they tear our guy's heart out, <laughs> which scarred some children. Which mm. They actually that, read that, retroactive that retroactive. Well, all right. So even like the first Indiana Jones had some horrific things in it, but it definitely wasn't trapped in a trapped in a, a collapsing alleyway with a bunch of bugs. Like that, that, that PG, <laughs> right? P, PG, yeah, yeah. Steve, like the 10, 10 year old watching that, that I would scare yeah. the crap out of. Well, me. so and so, and we're going way off topic here, but we're going to wrap up. So That's what we do. You know, Charlie's watching film stuff, and 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 he's in seventh grade. He's watching his acting for film class, sure. and they watch Twilight Zone, except ah. they skip the first. I think the first two, right? Because there were like five mini stories. Are you talking about like, the movie? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So yeah. that. First one where like the guy's a racist and then he stumbles out of the bar and he's in Nazi Germany yep. and then he's like and that was the guy who died in, the helicopter in, crashed on in him in the movie yeah. yes yeah. like the, the, they that you you see his death in the movie like the, the helicopter crashes on him I forget what who what was the actor's name Vic something yeah Vic Morrow I think yeah. But yeah, yeah yeah but so but Wait, I was so like why, oh why no they... wonder they didn't show it to you in public school <laughs> why didn't they that's the whole point of that Steve yeah, is the show they, they showed him like the other ones they showed him the the Dan Aykroyd at the beginning and the Dan <sighs> Aykroyd at the end and um the the freaking John Lithgow freaking out on the plane uh was a passenger at 28,000 feet or whatever it is yeah yeah so anyways not to go on right. a tangent yeah, we're way and we're over. And uh, this was good. Um, I lost a dollar. I got a dollar back. Um, yeah. We talked about war movies. This was great. So that'll do it, I think, for uh, episode 18 of this season of Match Wits. You can follow us on Twitter. Uh, you, you, may, you may get something. I think I posted something this week. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, at Match Wits. That's uh, Match, uh, like Match Sticks, and then Wits, W-I-T-T-S. So at Match Wits. Or go to our website, matchwits.com. Again, you can send us emails, tweet at us, send us DMs, whatever. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Maybe maybe come up with some quiz questions for Chris. Uh, Bring it on. For, for one of our future episodes. Uh, and I think with that, uh, we will bid you a happy Memorial Day and happy Memorial Day weekend. Peace out. Peace. Peace.